Please remain standing and pray with me. Almighty God, we remember those first disciples who encountered the good news of the resurrection. Lord, they had lived through your passion and death, the disappointment of the loss of their greatest friend and their Savior. Lord, they probably had sleepless nights before they arrived at the tomb on Sunday morning, those ladies who came to anoint your body. Lord, uh, in many ways, we find ourselves exactly where they are, with disappointments and sleepless nights. Some of us uh, for joyful reasons, some of us for children's reasons, some of us because of heartbreak. But Lord, we pray that you would meet us in the text this morning so that we might hear the good news again today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. The Lord is risen indeed. Hallelujah. You may be seated. <clears throat> Mark records in verse 8 of chapter 16, And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Well, we know that didn't last because we're here because they had to say something to somebody. So we know that they did talk to somebody eventually. But seriously, is that it? Is that they, let, they didn't tell anybody. They ran away. They're afraid. Fear and trembling had taken over. Is that the best that Mark can do to wrap up his gospel? Is that his best shot at the resurrection account? <clears throat> well, this ending, in my opinion, may be the singularly most unsatisfying conclusion to any work of literature in history. Uh, in fact, the Greek text is even more unsatisfying than the English translation because it ends with the linguistic equivalent of leaving your readers suspended waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's so unsatisfying that there was actually, it seems like, a small industry in the early church for providing more gratifying endings to the book of Mark. In fact, the best indicator that this is not how Mark originally ended is that the ancient Christians seem to think that Mark couldn't possibly have meant for the text to end this way, and hence we have the multiple choice endings that follow verse 8 in most of our Bible accounts, which you have in your Bible, Pew Bible right now. But nevertheless, the superintendency of God's providence has preserved the gospel of Mark for us down through the ages with the oldest manuscripts ending at verse 8. And so I believe that the Holy Spirit sovereignly worked to end this gospel exactly where we have it this morning. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid." So in Mark's Gospels, there are no disciples singing Alleluia. Nobody shouting, He is risen, risen indeed. Nope, the women ran away. They ran away from the empty tomb, terrified. They ran away from the empty tomb, terrified, because they could not see, please listen, because they could not see what had happened as God's amazing deliverance and victory. Even though they had just been told what had happened, they could not receive it in that moment. They could not see resurrection. 
And this is, this is what I'm thinking in, in this moment, and I think human experience would bear this out. In this moment, in Mark's gospel, they could not see resurrection because they did not have what was necessary to process and digest what had objectively occurred in the real world right then that Christ had truly been raised. In other words, they didn't have the capacity to view their circumstances through, and this is critical, they didn't have the capacity to view their circumstances through trust in God. Trust in God was not defining their ability to read the world around them. They only lived in a narrative in which the natural progression of things is always to go from bad to worse. Now, isn't that a lot like what we think? That in the, in the world we live in, the natural progression of things is for things to go from bad to worse. Think about it. That's the story we've just lived through at Christchurch over the last seven days. We began with the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem. It was so wonderful. People were spreading their garments and branches of palms along the, the road, and Jesus was riding in on a donkey's foal into Jerusalem, just as it had been prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. There he was, Messiah King, coming into Jerusalem. People were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of David, the king, coming into Jerusalem. It was wonder. It was electrifying. So good. This is, and I know that those disciples, the men and women who had followed Jesus from Galilee all the way to Jerusalem, were thinking, finally, we knew it was him. We knew he was Messiah. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. But then, as the week progresses, things begin to go sideways. Jesus cleanses the temple the very next day, it says, in Mark's gospel anyway, Mark's account, is that he goes in, he, he clear, clears the temple, he overturns the money changers, drives out all the animals that are being prepared for sacrifice that people could buy with, you know, they change their Roman currency for temple currency, and then they can buy one of the animals there and... He overturns that. He just, he's bad for business. The Better Business Bureau doesn't like Jesus. The Chamber of Commerce got together and said, we've got to do something about this Jesus guy. He is messing up our sweet deal in the temple. And beginning at that point, they sought a way to destroy him. And so on Thursday night, it's so sweet, it's so tender. They've gathered, they're there in the upper room for for what they don't realize, but what Jesus knows is the Last Supper. We read John's account. He washes the disciples' feet. We read the other accounts in the Gospels, how he institutes the Lord's Supper that evening. Such a wonderful, sweet time recounting God's victory over evil and slavery through the Passover events of the deliverance of the children of Israel. Oh, it was wonderful. But then Jesus says, all of you are going to fall away. One of you is going to betray me. This is not how we wanted this evening to end. And so they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives, and Jesus says, I'm going to go pray, and 
he has some of his closest friends, Peter, James, and John, are just a little ways off, and he's praying. They fall asleep. They've had some wine at Passover meal, and they fall asleep. But Jesus prays so hard, he's sweating great drops of blood. Oh, Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. Yet not what I will, but you what you will. And then there's the sound of tramping footsteps coming up the gravel path. There's torches and men with clubs and swords. There's people from the temple guards there. There's Judas, one of the disciples, and he goes up and he kisses Jesus right on the mouth. Rabbi! And then they manhandle Jesus. Peter lashes out with a sword, evidently runs away immediately. They drag Jesus off. Peter denies he knows him. Jesus is condemned to die. They take him to the Roman governor, Pilate. He sentences him to death. Jesus is tortured, nailed up on a cross as a criminal. That's how this week has ended in their eyes. And that's what we expect life to be like. A progression from bad to worse. Just when your hopes are cresting that finally everything's going to work out. I'm going to get that, I'm going to get that stimulus check. And then your car breaks down. And the water heater breaks down. And it's gone. There goes vacation. And their response is my response. I, if you tell me something amazing has, has just happened in that moment when I'm, I'm coming to bury my dreams, I'm coming to do the very last thing I can do to put my dreams to rest forever. I'm going to anoint the body of my Jesus. And there's some young guy there. Jesus that you're looking for, he's not here. He's risen. He told you what's going to do it. He's gone before you to Galilee. Go tell Peter and the disciples. Well, you just can't believe it. Yeah, we know from the, early other, uh, from the other gospel accounts that just a few minutes later, by the time they reached the apostles, they'd begun to entertain the possibility that what they have been told is true, that Jesus has been raised. Encountering Jesus along the way, as they do in Matthew 28, probably helped with that. But the initial response is exactly how, I have to say, I typically respond to things, and maybe you do too, not with trust in God, but with fear and distress, but not Oh, praise God, he's risen. Did you hear what the angel just said? He's risen. Isn't that terrific? Fear and trembling overtook them. They ran away. And here's why, brothers and sisters, because, please listen, we don't live in a world where we expect things that are sad to come untrue. You know, as I read Mark's account of the resurrection, I couldn't help but think about my, uh, and some of y'all know this, I, I will apologize ahead of time for my nerdiness, uh, but um, my favorite book in the world is, uh, is The Lord of the Rings. Oh, you don't, 
think the Bible is your favorite book, Pastor Ben? No, besides the Bible, obviously. But I love The Lord of the Rings by J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, in that final volume of that, that trilogy uh, called The Return of the King, Frodo and Sam have finished their quest to destroy the ring, and at last, the last thing that Sam uh, remembers, the last thing that he sees before he, he passes out is that they're on a, a little hill on the side of a volcano called Mount Doom. That's where they had to throw this, the ring away to destroy it. And, and uh, they've climbed up on this hill, but the lava is coming out of the volcano, and they're going to be engulfed at any moment by molten rock. But then Sam wakes up after the horrors of Mount Doom, and he sees their friend Gandalf standing there after thinking him dead. And then Tolkien writes, listen, and perhaps you have read this as well, but Sam lay back and started with open mouth, and for a moment between, between bewilderment and great joy, he could not answer. At last, he, at, at last, he gasped, Gandalf, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. And then listen to what he says. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him just as he told you. Faced with the angel's proclamation of the resurrection, that's where those women are. Between astonishment and great joy, we thought he was dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? And that's where so many of us, brothers and sisters, so many of us disciples are this morning. Right now, in this place, all of us have failures in our lives. All of us have crushing disappointments. Some of us have very fresh loss. All of us have regrets. All of us have broken relationships. All of us have known, in fact, most of us at least have known, if you're very old at all, known grief and death in your life. Some of us even face a daily struggle with some kind of disability or pain, and against the backdrop of our present darkness, we hear that the beaten, broken, crucified, dead, and buried... Listen, in the context of all of that, we hear that the beaten, tortured, crucified, dead, and buried Jesus is now alive. Our lives and the truth of the resurrection collide right now in this place today, and we should be shaking our heads and saying, is everything sad going to come untrue? Brothers and sisters, Christ is indeed risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and on those in the graves, bestowing life. So yes, 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 in your life, because Jesus Christ is risen, risen indeed in your life, Ultimately, as a follower of Jesus Christ, everything sad is going to come 
untrue. Everything. That's the promise. Isaiah 25. I mean, God's going to even swallow up death. Everything sad is going to come untrue. Death itself is beginning now to work backwards. And everyone who repents of sin and embraces Jesus by faith gets to share in his victory over death. That's why martyrs can go to their deaths singing praises to God and forgiving their killers as we have seen in the recent past. That's why at Christ Church we have missionaries who will get on an airplane tomorrow with their small children and leave their homes and loved ones to endure hardship in order to take the good news of the crucified and risen Jesus to people dwelling in darkness to this very day, people who've never ever even heard of Jesus. That's why we have peace that passes all understanding in the midst of great difficulty. That's why we see healings and signs and wonders of God's kingdom breaking in among us. That's why people are still receiving Jesus and being born again. Because the resurrection is a real event that has happened in the same real world and is a part of the same real history that you and I are a part of right this minute. This is not just a story. It's a part of history that we are a part of too. Everything sad is ultimately going to come untrue, whether we want it to or not. And because Christ is risen... It has already started to happen, whether you realize it or not. So brothers and sisters, if we can just take the next step that happens after verse 8 with these ladies, from fear and trembling and, in fact, terror, and stop along the pathway out of the garden and let the penny drop. So that by the time we reach the disciples in the upper room, we're not talking about fear and disappointment. But we're saying, the Lord is risen, truly risen. May God give us the grace to receive that truth this morning. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.